Five o'clock on the Blitz. Work is over. It's time to let that bird fly. Free that bird, boys. Tulsa, happy Tuesday. It is another episode of the show here on the Blitz 1170 and streaming on the Blitz 1170 app. Pour one out for Kelly Kapowski, who is 50 years old today. The GOAT. I am Colby Daniels, along with the 2023 Oklahoma Sportscaster of the Year, Jeremy Poplin, Scott File on the other side of the glass, and the Tulsa Oilers Hockey Studio. And we say hello to John Holcomb joining us, getting ready for the call tonight. Oklahoma State hosting TCU at Gallagher-Iba Arena, pregame at 7, tip-off at 8 here on the Blitz. John, what is happening, my man? I am looking out of the window. I did not get kicked out of practice. The Cowgirls are not practicing in Gallagher-Iba Arena like they were last week at this time. So I didn't get kicked out of practice, but I felt obligated to give you another update of what's going on at Boone Pickens Stadium <laughs> on the south side. This better include a photo like I'll, last time. Hold, please. Just a second. And we'll, we'll do this while, while I'm... Yeah. Okay. Let's let's see. I got to get off this. And I have a, a text string to share with you that uh, is has been. Uh, well, let's just put it this way: it's been uh, interesting and funny. John Denton, the TCU longtime colored man for TCU football and basketball, no longer doing either. You know, he's he's helping raise money for their collective. So, but he has started the text string with Hunziker and myself. And I just said, uh, and he, he said, take it easy on us tonight. We're in a tailspin. And so we responded, well, I mean, have you checked the record lately? Blah, blah, blah. And I said, because he would text me whenever I do the, uh, the reader for Legacy Village, the retirement place on the north side of town here. He, uh, he called me one time and suggested he tried to, to disguise his voice and say that he was interested in a, in a place uh, for retirement. And then he, he spiced up his story with things I can't say. And <laughs> I just said, it sounds like you need a facility, but Legacy Village would not meet your needs. So I just told him today, I said, by the way, I said, honest truth. There's so much fog here that Legacy Village looks more like Transylvania. I'm sure the tours have been called off for the day, so you're going to have to reschedule. And I have not heard back from him yet. So, uh, so that's that's kind of where we are with that. Now, as for the uh, the picture of what's going on here, I'm telling you, when you get this, you'll see is the word that comes to mind, and I'm sure that's been the case for Cowboys. Uh, not quite like this. I mean, there was a ton of fog between here and, and Tulsa anyway, and now you can kind of see what's uh, what's going on whenever you receive the photo. Well. We have perfect day to recreate yeah. Gettysburg. I don't. <laughs> we we uh, we don't have it yet. Now the big question is, John, um, will the Cowboys tonight be able to see through the fog, uh, and can you clearly see a win through the fog tonight, potentially for Oklahoma <laughs> State, uh, considering the way that TCU has played a little bit? But we were kind of going over the schedule a little bit, and I won't tell you ultimately the numbers that we came up with with total wins and conference play, um, but. Uh, it would seem like that if there is the best opportunity, I think we touched on this yesterday, 
Um, not only is this a good time to turn things around, and I don't know what that means for the uh, the rest of the season, but um, two wins, considering what the rest of the schedule looks like, uh, if there's ever a good opportunity, this this might be it right now with the uh, two teams coming up. Well, you sure, yeah, you want to take advantage of things, and, and here's here's the odd thing that Hunziker will that Dave will point out at the, I called him Dave, but he's not sitting right next to me. We're done. We're not recreating what we did yesterday, Jim, <laughs> <laughs> but I, uh, it, he, he has pointed this out and he, he will open the broadcast with this and I won't give it all away, but you know, there've been times where the Cowboys have struggled in several games into big 12 play. And what do you know? TCU comes into Gallagher Iba arena at just the right time. Um, they, and in part because they haven't been under Jamie Dixon, they haven't been terribly interested in being a lockdown defensive team. It's not that they haven't been good in that department some years, but you look at the way they want to play. Uh, nation's fastest team is one of the uh, the metrics for them. And when you go fast, you can get some easy baskets on teams, but if you go fast and you turn it over, then it's hard to stop turning it over, and that's kind of what happened to them with Iowa State on Saturday, and they had 27 turnovers. Um, so there's an opportunity here because TCU is unique in the Big 12 with the style that they play, but then, you know, it's just another different style that the Cowboys have to deal with. I do like this, though. I like, as we talked about Monday, the effort for 40 minutes that we saw, handful of plays, you know, the mistakes or credit Kansas State with making plays, decided that one on Saturday. And by all accounts, Monday's practice yesterday uh, was about as physical as they've had all season long. And, and Mike Poynton will tell you that this team has practiced well for the most part, but by far this may have been the uh, most physical practice. And it, 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 that's a good sign for guys, you know, because if, if – you came out and just kind of went through the motions yesterday, then you could be really worried that you might not be ready to try and take advantage of something like tonight. I know this is going to be an, an interesting game and an emotional game, I would assume, for Avery Anderson. From the Oklahoma State perspective, I mean, do you do anything extra uh, given that you know there's going to be maybe something that he feels like he wants to prove in a matchup like this? Well, I'd be shocked if uh... – when they come out and match up in the first time, you know, I'm, well, I would I would think that if Avery Anderson doesn't draw the defensive assignment on Javon Small, that it's going to frustrate Avery and that if TCU switches screens out front then um, or switches a lot on the perimeter, that you know that Avery's going to want to try to lock down Javon Small because in part because Mike Boynton has been – you know, pretty positive in his praise of, of Javon over the course of this season, even though Javon struggled a little bit in conference play. Um, but, you know, Avery, Avery knows. Avery knows what Coach Boynton has said. Um, and just to come back and, and say, you know, I had, I had great moments here. I'm going to make more great moments just in a different uniform too. So I think that that does play a big role in this. Now, I wouldn't be surprised if Micah Peavy – the Texas Tech transfer, big six seven six eight, who Coach Boynton says is probably TCU's best overall defender if they don't put PV on on Small to start things out. But yeah, I expect Avery Anderson to try to make a difference here. But as is the case with Avery throughout the course of his career, he's so quick 
that when he played under control, he was very effective, dynamic, an all Big 12 caliber player. But when he got going too fast, that's when the turnovers happened, and he had seven of them against Iowa State on Saturday. So TCU, John, um, from what you've been able to pick up in uh, this little two-game swoon that they've had here, what's been kind of the the issues that they've been battling? Because, I mean, at this point, what, like a week or so ago, this is a top-20 team that we're talking about, a team that likes to get out and run, that's that's super athletic. What's What's been some of their issues here over the last couple of games? Well, it's been inconsistency in the backcourt, I think, as much as anything else, because, you know, they've got some talent there. Tennyson had 19 against Iowa State the other day, but again, you go back to too many turnovers in that game. Um, 26, and, by the way. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. Ridiculous. You lose by one. You were down 18 at halftime, and you had, what, maybe 19 turnovers in the first half alone? Uh, if, if you say they go as their backcourt goes – Jimmy Nelson Jr. also, um, when his when he's got good numbers, when he's productive in a game, they're really good. And in their losses, his numbers are, are way down. But um, you, it, it's it's not quite as easy as to say, stop him, you win the game. Because, and, and Dave and Coach Boynton and I visited about this after we recorded the, the pregame interview earlier this afternoon, that – Yes, you can look at Nelson's numbers, but really the guy who is the soul of TCU is really Emmanuel Miller, the Texas A&M transfer who's been there now, it feels like, five years. Um, <clears throat> he's on the West Caswell plan. <laughs> I just thought I'd throw that in there. Uh, <laughs> most people, some people will get that, some people won't, but Pop, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yes, uh, makes me smile every uh, time. <laughs> oh, so so anyway, so so but because Miller at 6'8 has this high motor, He's a tremendous rebounder, tremendous offensive rebounder. He can defend when his mind is – when he's really dedicated to defending, he can really lock you up. And he's a physical sort of player, and he's got a skill set, as we talked about yesterday, that is similar to Arthur Columas with Kansas State, but not quite as refined as I think what you have with Kaluma. If you aren't ready to match the intensity from Emmanuel Miller, you, you're not going to have much of a chance outside of turning Texas or TCU over – Oh, I don't know, 26, 27 times in a game, you're not going to have much of a chance to uh, to win. What are you looking for in terms of the, the crowd and the turnout tonight? Great question, because um, the fog was getting thicker and Leon was getting larger as I was on my way from Tulsa <laughs> along the turnpike. <laughs> now, a few people will get that, a few people won't. Uh, but, uh, I, you know, students are back. Fully back in, and, and I think that, you know, you had a good crowd for Kansas last week. Students really showed up for Kansas, which was great. Other than that, there was a whole lot of blue in the, uh, in the, in the stands. Um, you're not going to have a big crowd from TCU. I think that uh, the student turnout should be pretty good, if for no other reason other than, um, you know, the, the ice has at least melted away. Everything's still wet around here, but, uh, you know, I think that there's still enough – hey, we saw what you guys tried to do at Kansas State. Let's see if we can get you over the hump here. Uh, but in terms of a huge crowd, I wouldn't guess a huge crowd, in part because it's 8 o'clock, and a lot of the people who may come in for you know a night game and then try to get back to Tulsa or Oklahoma City, 
given the the conditions of the last few days, I don't know how many people are going to going to try to do it. I but I think it'll be a, a decent crowd. You know, the one thing that stands out to you about TCU, John, is that you look at their losses. All of their losses have come against teams who rank in the top 60 in net, so they don't really have a bad loss at all on their resume. And even in those moments, like we just talked about with them losing, um, you, they, you go on the road, right, overtime in Cincinnati. Cincinnati's proven to be a little bit more of a difficult challenge in year one of the Big 12 than I think some thought. And then you lose by, what, like four at Kansas? So even on the road, this has been a team that is that has played pretty well Um but when you you know you have the amount of turnovers that you have, I mean they they're still in the fight, right? They're still playing incredibly hard nosed basketball, even if they're coming up with losses. Yeah, yeah, that that's the thing. That's where you know if you come out with anything less than the effort you gave uh, in Manhattan on Saturday, then it's going to be tough for OSU to win this game. Um, and the you other know, thing is, is now you know just how fed up is TCU with losing those two games? Because I think they were up. Uh, Early, they got off to a great start, I think, at Cincinnati. Yes, they did. And then they, they just kind of gave it away against Iowa State. So, you know, how much more refocused are they? And then what do they what do they do what do they do defensively and how can the Cowboys exploit it? Because that's that's where you have to win that battle if you're OSU. Because the other the other ones kind of give you a little pause here, as in TCU runs. Cowboys have not been great in transition defense. So um, maybe you commit fewer resources to the offensive glass, so you make sure you have numbers back so you're not giving up fast-break layups. Um, but, uh, you know, it, so you got to find a way to slow them down a little bit or turn them over. Turning them over is probably more likely than slowing them down, if that makes sense. But uh, the Cowboys, you know, they, they Kansas State had problems with turnovers. Both teams did. And I think they ended up with an identical amount on Saturday. But uh, the Cowboys were a little more aggressive in passing lanes Saturday. Uh, can they get out and run and affect the game, you know, choose their points where they decide to run so it doesn't become this kind of track meet where the ball is getting thrown into the fourth row every now and then? I think that, that, would, be, that would be something that uh, – if you can do that and pick your spots and get out and run some, then that takes the pressure off of your half-court offense, even against a team that may not be as interested in just beating you in a grinder sort of game with their half-court defense. They are 0-2 on the road in Big 12 play. I would have guessed they would have been better than that, getting away from that god-awful court. <laughs> <laughs> now, that's a, that's a horned frog. That's about as realistic a horned frog floor as you're going to find. Now, it, it stinks. constantly, uh, well, yeah, and it constantly makes me want to, you know, in the TV business, re-white balance the camera. <laughs> look like, what? What is this? What? What do we got going on here? It's kind of this. It's light purplish gray on the floor. But give them some credit for dressing up an older arena and uh, some of the stuff that they. It's it's not what they've done with the floor. It's what they've done, as some would say, in the foyer and in the basketball offices down there in Fort Worth. That, that's, where, that's where they've really done some good stuff. John, overall in the league, is 2024 the type of year, and maybe with it moving forward, even though Texas and Oklahoma are pretty good on the basketball front this year and you lose them, 
But I I was reading an article that was kind of describing life in the Big 12, and it reminded me a lot of what we talk about in the NCAA tournament and also in the NFL playoffs, like survive in advance. And I'll just read you the sentence. It says, sometimes surviving is enough in this league, and teams do just enough to get a win, and that's okay, consider the league that they play in. Would you say that that's pretty accurate with the Big 12 conference as a whole? 99%, yes. I mean, and the only the only reason I don't go 100% is because if you are going to fight for, if your goal is not just to potentially win the Big 12 and make the NCAA tournament, but also to grab a number one overall seed, which we know that you know Kansas has been able to do quite often under Bill Self, that's the only reason I don't go 100%. Because now, you know, what's what's the latest buzz now that you're talking about with bracketology, with Kansas falling at West Virginia, you know, and, and, and battling Cincinnati last night. With, but the loss to West Virginia, does that knock them off the, the one line? I mean, I know some of that is late January debatable topics, but – and there's <laughs> – we still have more than a month left, a month and a half of the season left to go before we even talk NCAA tournament. And you're not even – well, now, at this point right now, for instance, Kansas is one-third of the way through the Big 12 schedule. After tonight, the Cowboys and Oklahoma will also be one-third of the way through the uh, regular se- uh, for the conference schedule. So it's a little early for all that. But, yes, I think surviving a lot of times is plenty. Surviving on the road is even better, although it's really hard to do that. I think Lenardi's updated bracketology has 11 11- teams in and i think texas yeah. is is one of the first eight out <laughs> so i mean right there on the line yeah texas is yes uh right there at the bottom uh, looking yeah you're exactly right at the bottom of the next four out list but 11 in is crazy yeah and you know we were talking about that with what the big 10 was it a couple of years ago uh whenever it was that you know they were going to get a ridiculous amount of teams in um, but you add Houston, you, you add, uh, you know, BYU and Cincinnati have found their footing ever since they played each other, I think on the opening weekend and in what was just a God awful looking game and BYU had a lead and, and all of a sudden Cincinnati's athleticism came back and, uh, and, and made the difference and, and they were able to get a win, one of those cherished road wins. Uh, but even UCF has, has been better as we talked about Friday, Colby, this, one of the surprising things to me was after they got throttled by Kansas State in Manhattan, how they have played since then for the most part. They, I mean, they've been much more competitive, and they've come up with a couple of really big wins over Kansas and at Texas. Um, so, yes, surviving is just enough in this league. And, you know, if you're going to get the complaints from teams who may be 25-6 and six but in a one-bid league or in a league that's not expected to get more than two or three teams in, and maybe they're the third team, and they're going, well, you know, what does it matter? Well, it, what, what matters is who you play, where it's played, and how you did. Those are the things that matter. And if you don't have enough of those, and you can say it's not fair to other leagues because they don't have as many opportunities, well, recruit better. <laughs> Build better programs. <laughs> <laughs> it, is there a term, John, as John Holcomb joins us here on the Blitz? Um, pre-game starts at 7 o'clock right here on the Blitz 1170. Is there a term that we can use 
for a conference like this that is as deep as what it is, but that also is kind of in a weird way like wide open? I mean, you can stretch all the way down to Iowa State that's 3-2 and two in the league, and if you were to say, I don't know, three or four teams off the top of your head right now, that you'd be like, yeah, they're going to win the conference. I'd be like, yeah, okay, I can buy that. Like, So is there a term for this conference being as tough but yet as wide open or at least competitive at the top uh, that I can remember a conference being? Uh, you know, just as you say that, the words that come, and I may not have it nailed exactly the way that I want to say this, but elite free-for-all <laughs> might be what Okay, that's fair, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Print I mean, the T-shirts now because that is great. Yeah, well, because, you know, we – said it on the blitz Sunday night is there a dominant team in this league no but are there a handful of teams in this league who could go really deep in March yes so you know in some ways I we won't know until we know but in some ways if you have a solid conference season and then say you get knocked out or upset in a conference tournament Who's to say that you might not end up in a Sweet 16, Elite 8 type of situation? It's, it's that type of year. Yeah, depending on the draw, I, I think that probably applies to about anybody that is able to punch their ticket. Um, I, I was curious, and I don't know if you can, can remember back. Um, obviously, a lot's happened since, um, you know, a couple of the slow starts from Oklahoma State over the years, but... Has there has there ever been anything that stood out to you in terms of having the slow starts and and figuring out something to get you over the top and get that first win? It's funny. I'll go back to the first thing now, just because it's top of mind. Is TCU coming in? And even when TCU hadn't come in slumping, they just came in and you know just whether they presence. weren't ready to go <laughs> or yeah yeah yes yes it, it's it, it's uh, and then the look from my buddy John Denton when he walks in, like, cause he could sense something bad's about to happen, even though the Cowboys may be winless in a handful of games, but he would just give us that look and we just go, yeah, yeah, right. You know, you guys have this, this, and this. He said, no, I'm telling you, you know, like guys, if you're around a team or you're, you're, you're paying attention to a situation, then you, you're always hesitant to jump way out there and say that first win's going to happen tonight because you don't have one yet. And the, and the, the, uh, the, the kind of wild card in the room is if you're close enough, are you going to be able to close the deal? Because maybe you're trying too hard to get that first one. You never really know that until everything plays out. But I would say that there's a, a better than average chance that Oklahoma State could come out on top tonight but in terms of looking at, at seasons past I can remember in Brad Underwood's year when the Cowboys started 0-6 and had Juwan Evans and you know there was a lot expected of that team and ultimately they ended up making a great run Evans had a brilliant bedlam night in Stillwater like scored 17 straight at one point and had 42 or whatever it was um, and you know make the NCAA tournament and then lose to a hot shooting Michigan team that made a deep run that year. Um, but they, they always started 0 and 6 in conference play last year, that year. And that was the 16, 17 season. And one of the things that jumped out because non-conference was pretty good, 
but they got absolutely mauled by a physical West Virginia team in the opener here. And then it kind of stuck with them. But they made uh, – Underwood and staff made a, a shift in defensive philosophy instead of playing up the line, trying to deny the wings and, and making it really tough on teams to get started in the offense – in part because of some of their defensive personnel, they went to more of a back off. You may allow that first pass, but we're going to play the gaps and not let you get easy baskets driving to the rim. And it was like the flip, the uh, switch flipped on immediately. And then uh, I can't remember who they got the first win against. Maybe it was TCU. But after 0-6 and you find that one, and then you end up uh, you know, winning in, uh, I think you won in Norman that year too, but um, – that you know that little switch was but as much as anything else helped it now can you draw a correlation to this season and the change in the starting lineup for Mike Boynton on Saturday at Kansas State maybe because you're looking for any sort of spark here and they're going to go with that same starting lineup tonight that they went with in Manhattan so that means Keon Williams and uh, Eric Daly will come off the bench and Connor Dow and John Michael Wright will start um, so we'll see if that extended thing helps them and if they, they finally get it turned around tonight. Hey, John, um, quickly here uh, on the football front, and this is just a, a, a general question. Uh, Zach Robinson's name has been mentioned for a ton of offensive coordinator gigs. The Steelers OC job, um, I think uh, the Raiders requested an interview also, maybe the Eagles, I think he's going to interview in Philadelphia as well. You know, considering that, you know, they've had to replace a few OCs in Stillwater um, from time to time, how close is Zach Robinson's name? I mean, it's been talked about, but is there, has, has it ever been close? And is has that even been a desire from Zach Robinson to go back to the college game? Some guys don't want to coach in college. Some guys are pretty comfortable in the NFL. And this just seems like he gets the, the OC gig. The, the next natural step after that progression is a head coaching gig in the NFL. But has there, has there ever been a moment where it felt like that that would be close to him coming back to Stillwater to run the offense in those years that they needed it? You know, his name has kind of come up just in conversation, but I've never heard any real traction as, wow, we really think this could happen or is going to happen here in Stillwater. And I think part of that is because, you know, he moves over to, LA and then the Rams win it all, you know, and, and he's, he's on a rocket a ship at that time. Yes. And so I think that as much as anything else has, has kind of created this situation for him, which he, you know, gosh, couldn't find a better guy. And I know he would be a little biased telling me this, but you know, Zach and I've talked off and on over the years, but JB long, you know, worked with us at mm-hmm. news on six and JB went uh, from here and now is the, not directly, but now has been the radio play-by-play man for the Rams, and he hosts a lot of their TV shows and things like that. Every time JB and I have have traded texts or talked, he can't say enough good things about Zach. So, yeah, maybe he's a little biased, but he's also close to the situation. And, uh, you know, in fact, when they had the Super Bowl parade, this is kind of a humble brag moment, but Super Bowl parade, uh, JB sent me a selfie of him and Zach that day and said you were praised which i thought that was really cool he didn't need yeah. to do that but you know but those two guys together that you know they're obviously um 
what did Mark Degnault say about his own uh, ability? We ran a soundbite last night at 10. He said, I am a sub-elite athlete. Well, I'm definitely, when you look at those two, I'm in the sub-elite category. They're in the elite category. <laughs> well, it was one of those because I think he interviewed in uh, in New England as well. And I, I think your point on joining that Ram staff and then seeing the amount of people from the um, – that's still kind of a version. I know it's McVeigh, but it's still kind of the Shanahan tree of coaches uh, yes. that, that, have, that have been a part of that so far. So when they won, it almost felt like, all right, maybe he's skipped a level, unless he just wants to immediately go back. But, yeah, it's one of those that I know that's been rumored out there. I just didn't know. And, by the way, speaking of, of former Oklahoma State coordinators, how about Todd Monken and the job that he's done with the Ravens? To only go and win two national championships back-to-back to Georgia and now have the Ravens in the AFC championship game, my goodness, there may not be a better play caller in the country. Oh, he's, he's, uh, he's brilliant. He's brilliant. And – you know, it was so great to see him the night before the uh, Big 12 championship game, and I know we shared those stories about it, but he is he is so matter-of-fact with the way he describes things, too, that I think that comes, well, partly you have to kind of be born that way, but then it also comes with experience on different levels and understanding what you can and cannot control and understanding who you're working with, and Todd's done an outstanding job with all of that. Didn't, uh, didn't am I crazy or was... Zach at PFF at one point. He was, yes. Okay. He was. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, he was. He was. And, and Hunziker is a uh, – he doesn't he doesn't consider it necessarily the Bible of things like that, but he does reference it quite a bit during football season, and Zach's the one that really kind of got him going in that direction. Yeah. Well, good stuff, John. Uh, best of luck tonight. Be careful of the fog. And I'm not speaking of Allen Fieldhouse when you come back. Uh, that's for that's for next Tuesday. Yeah, <laughs> next Tuesday. You have to God, worry yeah. about that. So uh, be careful coming back. Have a great call tonight with Dave, and we'll be tuning in, my man. Sounds good. Did you guys ever get the picture, by the way? Well, yes, I, I did. I, I did. I, I did get the picture, yes. Haunting. It is. It's very haunting. It's always odd to look at a football field that doesn't actually have turf as well. That's also kind of haunting in a weird way. Would they – they have protective uh, plates on top of it, like those kind of rubberish plates. Yeah, so it, the turf is there, but you just can't see it. It's like they're getting ready for the monster truck rally, like grave diggers exactly. getting ready to come in. Or if it gets a little darker, it's the perfect setting for the unmasking at the end of Scooby-Doo. <laughs> yes. And I would have gotten away with it, too, if it wasn't for you meddling kids. <laughs> meddling kids. <laughs> John, have a great call, my friend, and we'll catch up Friday. Sounds good, guys. That is John Holcomb joining us via the Blitz hotline. He is on the call tonight along with Dave Hunziker. 7 o'clock pregame, 8 o'clock tip, Oklahoma State, TCU from Gallagher-Iba Arena. You can hear it right here on your home for Cowboy Hoops in Tulsa, the Blitz 1170.